Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll do something a little unusual today. Paul shows us in this chapter that he not only speaks the truth of God's word, he also confronts those who are not speaking the truth of God's word. And so I'm going to do a little of that today, and uh, I want to remind you that Paul sets that example. In fact, Paul confronts Peter in Galatians 2.11 when Peter compromised the message. And so as I do this today, I hope and pray that you will hear my heart, that I'm not trying to judge somebody else but I am committed to the truth of God's Word. And when someone is not teaching that truth, then I need to warn you about that and make you aware of that. We hear a lot today about the New Age movement. If I was going to describe the New Age movement, I would call it a religious self-help movement. Now, they won't call themselves religious. They will say, rather, they are spiritual. But they are religious and they have a consistent religious theology, and that is pantheism. Theism means God. Pan means everything. Pantheism is that everything is God. That tree out there is God. You're God. Everything is God. One of the primary tenets of the New Age movement is what they call supercharged affirmations. Supercharged affirmations. Here's a quote from the Salem New Age Center. Positive thinking supported by affirmation will achieve success in anything. And by affirmation, they qualify it and say affirmation is a carefully formatted statement that you speak over and over again. To be effective, it must be present tense, positive, personal, and specific. So that's simple. Just think positively, stand in front of the mirror and speak positively, and the result will be positive success. It's been popularized by Rhonda Burns in a film and subsequent book entitled The Secret. It's a series of interviews with people she refers to as secret teachers, and together they convey the secret which they call the law of attraction. The law of attraction means that everyone's wants and needs may be accomplished by wishing it and believing in it. Neil Donald Walsh is one of the most popular New Age teachers. He has written a series of books called Conversations with God. Problem is, it's not the true God that he's conversing with. And number two, he's not having a conversation. He's having a monologue. And this is what he says. The deepest secret is that life is not a process of discovery, but a process of creation. You are not discovering yourself, but creating yourself anew. Seek, therefore, not to find out who you are, but seek to determine who you want to be. One of the most popular New Age teachers there's a guy named Wayne Dyer. You probably see him on PBS periodically. He has a great hairstyle. He says, the more you see yourself as what you'd like to become, 
and act as if what you want is already there, the more you'll activate those dormant forces that will collaborate to transform your dream into reality. Now, does that sound familiar? It should. Because it's very similar rhetoric to what you will hear in the Word of Faith movement today, often termed the prosperity gospel. It's a teaching that has been infiltrating the church for decades and is now the fastest growing segment of Christianity in the world. The teaching goes something like this. Since God in, be, in the beginning created with his words, and since we are made in his image, we can create with our words. As, imply, as implied by the title, Word of Faith, we can speak health, speak wealth, speak prosperity, speak peace through possibility thinking, through positive confession, through positive words. I can shape my own existence. It's been propagated by men like Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale was a Methodist pastor and then became a Reformed pastor. He wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. It sold over three million copies. He also wrote a book called Positive Imaging in which he said this, there is a powerful and mysterious force in human nature, a kind of mental engineering, a powerful new old idea. The concept is a form of mental activity called imaging. It consists of vividly picturing in your conscious, conscious mind a desired goal or objective and holding that image until it sinks into your unconscious mind where it releases great untapped energies. When the imaging concept is applied steadily and systematically, it solves problems, strengthens personalities, improves health, and greatly enhances the chances for success in any kind of endeavor. Your unconscious mind has a power that turns wishes into realities when the wishes are strong enough. Now, did you notice something? Where is the power? He says it's in human nature, and it's in your mind. Kenneth Hagin was a Word of Faith proponent. He said, if you confess sickness, you get sickness. If you confess health, you get health. Whatever you confess, you get. Hmm. Paul Yonggi Cho who has the world's largest church with about 400,000 members, wrote a book entitled The Fourth Dimension. In that book, he teaches that positive thinking, positive speaking, and positive visualizing are the keys to success. He calls it the law of incubation. And here's what he says, quote, through visualization and dreaming, you can incubate your future and hatch the results. You know who wrote the foreword to his book? Robert Schuller. Robert Schuller markets the same product as Norman Vincent Peale under a different brand name that he calls possibility thinking. 
He's going to be in St. Louis later this month at a motivational rally for business people. He's marketed as one of the greatest motivational speakers in the United States. He said this, and this is a pastor speaking. You don't know what power you have within you. You make the world into anything you choose. Yes, you can make your world into whatever you want it to be. Now believe and you will achieve. Again, where's the power? It's in you. It's what you want. It's what you choose. No wonder it's so popular. The guy who has replaced him as the most watched preacher on TV with the largest church in America averaging 43500 a weekend is echoing the same message. I would be crazy to contradict Joel Osteen because he's the most popular preacher in America. I, I go to St. Louis, I see him on billboards next to pastors there. He's kind of like the Michael Jordan of Christianity. These guys just stand with their arm around him and it's like, come to our church. We know Joel Osteen. So saying this is not going to win me popularity votes. But listen to these statements from Joel Osteen's book, The Best Life Now. Quote, If you develop an image of victory, success, health, abundance, joy, peace, and happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you. Quote, Thoughts determine destiny. Your life will follow your expectations. What you expect is what you will get. Quote, Friend, there is a miracle in your mouth. The moment you speak something out, you give birth to it. Now, I would say that that is a self-help program baptized in the name of God. And I bring this up because when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is far from positive. Look at chapter 11 again. At the end of verse 23, describing his ministry, he says, In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers and 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 dangers. Verse 27, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me telling them not to speak that word? Is that what your Bible says? Who is weak without me becoming weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Verse 30, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Paul says, I'm not just speaking the word weak. I'm bragging about being weak. See, Paul stood in front of the mirror and said, you're a weakling. 
You say, well, why did he do that? Why did he brag about his weakness? Well, because he understood that there's a paradox in God's program. And that is that when you are weak, then you are strong. Look at chapter 12. We'll cheat into something we haven't gotten to yet. This is bonus for you. You don't have to pay for this. Chapter 12, the end of verse 9. I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You want the secret? You don't have to read the book. That's the secret. When you're weak, God's power takes over. Now, what do you think the prosperity preachers would say to Paul? They listen to him talking this way. They would have to say, come on, Paul. Don't you know you've got a miracle in your mouth? Don't you know that if you say you're weak, you'll become weak? Don't you know that if you say you're hungry, you'll be hungry? Don't you know that if you say you're stoned, you'll be stoned? Don't you know that if you think you're homeless, you will impregnate yourself with homelessness and give birth to homelessness? Paul, your problem is you're not thinking positive thoughts. You're not speaking positive words. You need to change your vocabulary or you'll never be propelled toward greatness. You need to start thinking you're somebody. You need to start saying you're somebody. You need to stand in front of the mirror, point at yourself, and say, you're a winner. You say, well, Dan, what's the big deal? I mean, we've got to live in a negative world. It's kind of nice to have somebody talking positive once in a while. Why should we be so concerned? I knew you'd ask. So let me give you three reasons. Three problems I have with this concept. Number one is where it comes from. Number two is what it is. And number three is what it leads to. First of all, where it comes from. This teaching does not come from Scripture. This teaching does not come from God. In fact, Norman Vincent Peale credits a guy by the name of Ernest Holmes with making him a positive thinker. Ernest Holmes founded the Church of Religious Science, also known as the Science of Mind. Here is his theology. Listen carefully. Science of mind teaches that the originating supreme creative power of the universe, the source of all substance, the life in all living things is a cosmic reality principle which is present throughout the universe and is in every one of us. That's pantheism. Science of mind teaches that man controls the course of his life by mental processes which function according to a universal law that we are all creating our own day-to-day experiences by the form and procession of our thoughts. Man, by thinking, can bring into his experience 
whatsoever he desires. You know where Ernest Holmes got the secret of positive thinking? He got it from a fellow by the name of Napoleon Hill. Now, if you've studied management or marketing, you've probably heard of this guy. You've probably been told to read this guy. He wrote books titled Think and Grow Rich, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. He's the first guy to make statements like this. Whatever the human mind can conceive and believe, the human mind can achieve. He made this statement, we have the power to create our own world. You will hear that statement repeated over and over again by these people. Where did he learn the secret of positive thinking? Here's what he says in his book, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. Quote, Now and again I have had evidence that unseen friends hover about me. Now when most people say that, we get them some help. This guy writes it in his book. Unknowable to the ordinary senses, in my studies I discovered there is a group of strange beings who maintain a school of wisdom The school has masters who can disembody themselves and travel instantly to any place they choose to give knowledge directly by voice. Now I knew that one of these masters had come across thousands of miles through the night into my study. I shall not set down down every word he said. Much of what he said already has been presented to you in the chapters of this book and will follow in other chapters. You have earned the right to reveal a supreme secret to others, said the vibrant voice. You have been under the guidance of the great school. Now you must give the world a blueprint. Who are these masters? Who are these unseen friends? They're demons, they're fallen angels. And what is the blueprint? What is the supreme secret? I'll let him tell it to you in his book, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. Know your own mind. Live your own life. You can make your life what you want it to be. Self-confident faith in yourself is an indispensable ingredient for good living. A healthy ego makes you more receptive to the influences which guide you from a region beyond the power of your your five senses to know. Unseen, silent forces influence us constantly. There are unseen watchers. I can find faith which vastly enlarges my powers. Always I know I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What is the supreme secret? I put my faith in myself Because I control my life, I am the master. That's no secret. That's the same philosophy Satan had at the beginning when he said, I will be like God. That's the same message he gave to Eve in the garden. You will be like God. So it shouldn't surprise us when he says he got the message from unseen friends, because he did. And the first thing that concerns me is where this message comes from. It comes from the devil himself because it's an old message, just dust it off and revisit it. 
Second concern I have is what it is. The subtle flaw with positive thinking is that it has no moral fiber. It says nothing about right or wrong. It says nothing about true or false. It's just positive. I'll tell you something. My goal is not to speak positively. My goal is to speak truthfully. If you go back to the garden, all the way back to the garden when man fell, who was positive in the garden? God was negative. God said, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. That's pretty negative. Satan comes along and speaks positively. You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Go back to the garden. Who was the positive thinker? It was Satan. Let me show you a verse. Look at Mark chapter 8. Who was positive among Jesus and his 12 disciples? The disciples were. Remember, every time Jesus got away from them, what did they talk about? They argued about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Their big deal, they, if they had a mirror, they stood in front of the mirror and said, you're the greatest. You reign. Notice what Jesus says to them in chapter 8 of Mark. In verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man, am I in the right chapter? No. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's pretty negative. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And what's the next verse say? It says, Peter pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. Now, there are a lot of conversations I'd love to get in on in Scripture, but this is definitely one of them. Jesus is speaking negatively. I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And Peter pulls him aside and says, I know things have been tough lately. But you're going to have to keep a positive mental attitude. Don't you know the secret of life? If you say you're going to get killed, you'll get killed. Jesus, look in my eyes and repeat after me. I'm a winner. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Where's that message coming from? You see, Peter is positive, but he's positively wrong. And Jesus says, your your problem is you're putting your mind on man's interests and not God's interests. 
As a Christian, my interest is not whether I'm positive or negative. My interest is to have the mind of Christ. And that's why this concerns me, because this message is centered on man. It's my dreams, my thoughts, the things that I can visualize for myself, and then I dream about them and speak them and I claim them. The problem with that is that every time man does that, he's wrong, like Peter was wrong, because what does man want to do? He wants to get to the crown without going through the cross. Peter even said that to Jesus. You're all about the ki- you should be all about the kingdom, not the cross. Don't go there. Go straight to the throne. That's the message of Satan. Thirdly, my concern with this is what it leads to. You show me someone who is teaching positive thinking, and I will show you at least three disturbing conclusions that it leads to. The first is materialism. If, as Robert Schuller says, I can make my world into whatever I want it to be, then my selfish ambition is going to want me to be prosperous. Kenneth Hagin wrote the book, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. That title should tell you something. If I get to write my own ticket with God, it's going to be an expensive ticket. Commenting on the mentality of the church today under such teaching, Dave Hunt in his book, The Seduction of Christianity, says, If Moses lived today, it would not be said of him that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, Hebrews 11.25, but that he chose to suffer wealth, success, and popularity with the people of God. It used to be said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. But today it is said, those who live godly lives will be honored and successful in this world. Paul says, I was often hungry. I was thirsty. I was homeless. I didn't leave Damascus in a limo. I left Damascus in a basket. When it comes to my thinking, the thing I'm to do as a Christian is to have the mind of Christ. And Christ's mind is never materialistic. It's never about temporal success. It's never about temporal wealth. Christ's mind is always focused on the glory of God and obedience to his word. Second, not only leads to materialism, it leads to faith in faith. Positive thinking approaches faith as if it has some power in itself. Faith is important, but your faith has to be in God, not in your faith or yourself. Their position is that, that, that faith is really not in God because if your faith is in God, that you're, then you're believing in the sovereign God who by his mercy and grace runs this universe. Their position is not that your faith is in God, but your faith is aimed at God. And your faith has some power to make him do what you believe he will do. 
In his book, Fourth Dimension, Paul Yonggi Cho says, you create the presence of Jesus with your mouth. And then he goes even further and he says this, he is bound by your lips and by your words. I hope that shocks you. Because someone who says that God is bound by my words and my lips doesn't have a clue what the word Lord means. At best, that reduces God to some sort of cosmic genie. If I can just figure out how to say the right words, open sesame, I'll get in. At worst, it eliminates him altogether because he's no longer necessary. What's necessary is my faith, my dreams, the power in me to speak them into reality. That puts everything in man's hands, making man God, which is the very Godhood that Satan was offering us in the garden. Third thing it leads to is self-esteem. Self-esteem. The goal of positive thinking is to improve man's self-image. Here's the logic. The problem with people is that they have a bad self-image. What we have to do is get them to visualize themselves into success, to build up their self-esteem. Now, if your goal is to build up people's self-esteem, you probably don't want to talk about sin. Here's a quote from Robert Schuller in Time magazine. Quote, I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelism enterprise than the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. What an awful thing to do to help someone realize that they're lost. And not only is sin out, but humility is out as well. Robert Schuller wrote the books Self-Love, The Dynamic Force of Success, and Self-Esteem, The New Reformation. Again, that should tell you something. I don't need a book on self-love. I'm good at it. It comes very natural to me. Here's what he said in those books. We're not bad. We're just badly informed about how good we are. Quote, a person is in hell when he has lost his self-esteem. In his book, Living Positively One Day at a Time, he wrote this. Jesus knew his worth. His success fed his self-esteem. He suffered the cross to sanctify his self-esteem. And he bore the cross to sanctify your self-esteem. And the cross will sanctify the ego trip. You know, he should have titled that book, the Velveteen Cross. 
want to tell you something this morning. You don't need your ego sanctified. You need your ego crucified. And that's what happened on the cross. When you come to Christ, he died on the cross. And when you come to Christ, you die to yourself. We don't need to build up people's self-esteem. We need to help them understand that they are lost and separated from a loving God. And that they need to repent and turn from themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him Deny himself. Don't build up yourself. Deny yourself. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, Man, the Dwelling Place of God. Listen carefully. He says, quote, Self, whether swaggering or groveling, can never be anything but hateful to God. Boasting is an evidence that we are pleased with self, belittling that we are disappointed in it. Either way, we reveal that we have a high opinion of ourselves. Did you get that? You don't have to swagger to be all into yourself. You can be always beating yourself up. The problem is you're looking at yourself. The victorious Christian neither exalts nor downgrades himself. His interests have shifted from self to Christ. What he is or is not no longer concerns him. He believes that he has been crucified with Christ and he is not willing either to praise or depreciate such a man. We live in a day, sadly, when very few people understand that kind of clear teaching. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, In the last days, difficult times will come. And the next verse says, Men will be lovers of self. One of the evidences we're in the last days is men will be lovers of self, and positive thinking is propagating self-love. And by building up self, what it's doing is it's depriving people of the power of God. Because as Paul illustrates in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, God's power is discovered through our weakness. Paul wants to introduce us to the concept of the power of negative thinking. Because when you are weak, then you'll be strong. thing I love about God is that he never asks us to do anything he hasn't already done. He asks us to come to the end of ourselves. Why? Because Jesus came to the end of himself for you. He asks you to go to the crown through the cross. Who did it first? Jesus did. He went to the cross for you. He died in your place. He died as your substitute so that you might have life. As we close our service today, we're going to be reminded of that. When Jesus hung on the cross, if you want to visualize something, visualize that. That It doesn't get any weaker than that. Hanging naked on a cross and dying in your place. Why did he do that? To bring about God's power and victory and joy and salvation for you and for me. 
So as we close our service today, we're going to do what Jesus asked us to do, and that is take some bread and a cup and remember his death. Remember his weakest moment. Why? Because that's the point where the power comes. And if you've never come to the cross today and denied yourself and accepted Jesus Christ and allowed him to take over as Lord in your life, then I invite you to do that. If you have, then I invite you to refresh that commitment to him this morning as we take communion together. If you're a visitor, you're welcome to partake. It's the Lord's Supper. It's open to you. If you're a believer, I'm going to have the praise team come back. They're going to play and sing. The Bible says you're to examine yourself and then eat this meal. So examine your heart before the Lord. Say to the Lord, I have nothing in myself that you would want. I am weak, but in you I want to be strong. I surrender to find victory in Jesus Christ. Let's be honest with him this morning as we close our service by taking communion together.